Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Today we are talking with singer-songwriter Amy Mann. Now, many of us know Amy as one of the founding members of the new wave band Till Tuesday with their epic hit Voices Carry. Amy has then gone on to a fantastic solo career, including writing and performing songs for movies such as Magnolia and I Am Sam, and having her songs used in shows such as Ted Lasso and I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Over the course of her career, she's won two Grammy Awards with an additional six nominations. Amy's 2017 album, Mental Illness, was called her quintessential statement, a wake-up call delivered as a lullaby. Amy's got a new album coming out on her own label, Super Ego Records, called Queens of the Summer Hotel, which includes the song Suicide is Murder. So check those out at amyman.com. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so that we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And during our conversation, Amy talks about her own struggle with depression and anxiety. One of the things that Amy talks about is how she experiences her depression as actually holding down her anxiety like a lid. She explained how her obsessive thoughts can be so powerful and overwhelming that her depression was almost a response to keep the intensity of her thoughts in check. In addition, Amy talks about how, just as mental illness is devastating when we experience it ourselves, it is also devastating when someone close to us struggles with their mental health. Amy shares how her song, Suicide is Murder, is for a planned stage musical based on the book, Girl Interrupted. And the song is about how many people experience the suicide of a loved one as a murder because their loved one was tragically taken away from them. And the contrast is so striking between how we feel about ourselves when we are depressed, that we are disconnected, isolated, and alone with how much the people around us would suffer if we were gone. So it is very valuable when we're able to talk about the issue of mental illness from multiple perspectives. It helps us all have a bit more understanding of and empathy for what everyone involved is going through. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear your feedback questions that you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so that they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Amy has to say. Okay, Amy, welcome to Going There. Thank you. So you have ostensibly done many different songs and albums that have to do with mental health. And I thought that what we would start with is 2017, which was titled Mental Illness. And the reviews and press that I've seen on it says that it discussed issues of depression, self-harm, suicide. And so I thought we would start there and just, you know, getting some of your thoughts on, on what was happening with that album and your experiences with those issues? Um, well, the title was a little bit, a little bit tongue in cheek and it sort of came from, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine when I, you know, was finishing up the record and he said, uh, you know, what are these, these new songs, you know, what are they about? And I said, Oh, you know, my usual songs about mental illness. And he said, you should call the record mental illness. Um, so it's a you know it's a little jocular but it's also not you know it's not on it's not inaccurate 
Um, I think I, I think I'd have to sort of see a track listing to go song by song to you know tell you what it, what exactly was you know what was in there and what was going on, but. Um, you know, there were definitely a few songs that were inspired by uh, somebody I knew who was bipolar and also probably um, like possibly a sociopath, uh, like, and, and, uh, and that was a very strange experience. So, so I, de I definitely ended up writing some songs that kind of touched on uh, that that personality. I think that one of the things that's very tough with mental illness of any kind is not just that it impacts the person who's struggling with it, but the people around them. And obviously the person who's struggling is the one who needs the most immediate care, but oftentimes family, friends, coworkers, the stress of being connected with someone who's struggling, it, it kind of goes unchecked and unnoticed, quite frankly, but it, it can be incredibly stressful and overwhelming at times. Yeah. And even on a, even in a casual, casual relationship, you know, you, you just don't know how to deal with it. Um, uh, there was another friend of mine who would uh, periodically call me and um you know, I'm not sure what his diagnosis is. I, I feel like I feel like he was bipolar, but all, but with, you know, where there starts to become like a psychotic element, like a hallucinatory element, and it's just you you know, you just kind of I don't I don't know how to handle this. I like even even taking a phone call, and uh, you know, and still listening to to people talk. You know, I, it's you don't know what to say. You you're afraid that you're going to make make it worse, uh, you know, your whole, because their reality is, you know, built on sand, your, your reality with them is also built on sand. And one of the things that can happen that's so difficult is that oftentimes when people struggle with a mental health issue, you know, people dismiss, they'll use terms like crazy or irrational or distorted, which are, are terms that I, I don't particularly like not just because I don't think they're true, they're, they're pejorative, but one of the things that does happen often is that people when they're struggling are actually incredibly sensitive to and aware of what's happening around them. So they can tell when maybe through no fault of their own, but something that's happening with their mental health is causing someone close to them to be uncomfortable or to be yeah. stressed out. And that cycle then it's like you almost feel yourself in the moment being like, oh my God, I'm, I'm talking too fast and I can see that they're freaking out a little bit and they're getting stressed. And then it, that cycle really just kind of helps, unfortunately, someone devolve even further. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as the, the person on the other side, it's very hard to know exactly you know, what to say and, uh, and how to say it. Um, you know, your, your mind goes immediately to how can I, how can I stop this from happening? And, um, you know, but it's the, but no, who's equipped for that? Yeah. And that, that concept of how can I stop this from happening? Cause what winds up happening is the person who's experiencing, whether it's depression or, or a manic episode, whatever it might be, doesn't want to be experiencing those feelings, whether it's feeling so depressed that they can't move or, or manic to the point where they feel out of control. And so they try to suppress it. The person, like you're saying, kind of like, well, I want to stop this because that's the natural reaction. That, that, that feels like the helpful reaction. And then it almost becomes this little bit of a, of a game of chicken of sorts, because it's like, if you, if you can stop it, it would be so great. But then if you can't stop it, but you're trying to stop it, it actually winds up making it worse for yeah, either the person or themselves. I, I think with depression, which, you know, like I haven't, haven't really experienced, haven't experienced some, you know, mania, but I've definitely experienced depression. Um, you know, you can tell when, 
and I've just been, obviously been on the other side of this too, where the the other person just wants it to be, they just don't want to deal with it, or they do, you know, they don't know how to deal with it, or they don't want to deal with it, and then you know you get a lot of advice, and you don't want advice, you know, you don't want, to, you know, you don't want to hear about, um, you know, how you should snap out of it or cheer up or, you know how studies have shown that exercise is more efficacious than medication, you know, like you just don't want to hear that stuff. Um, you know, especially because it doesn't feel true. You know, you're like, well, I've tried to exercise and that didn't work. So it does not feel, it doesn't feel true. Um, and just, just the sort of, uh, it, it just, it amplifies the problem when you know somebody just wants to make it go away because they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, that, that concept of it not feeling true, you know, because when, when we're depressed, one of the things that happens is that our, our bodies and our minds are naturally more predisposed, for lack of a better way of saying it, to gather information that justifies the mood, you know, from an evolutionary yeah. perspective, like we're, you know, we're kind of organized a little bit around our mood. And it's like, oh, like, let's bring up everything that you've ever thought or smelled, or tasted, or seen, or heard that that is associated with depression, and you know so that's that's something that's very hard for people when either they're not depressed or they're not in a depressive episode to realize that yeah you're saying it, but I I don't I don't feel this at all. What you're saying, it, it, you may you may think you're trying to help, but it's yeah. There's a disconnect between what you're feeling and and what other people are saying. Um, and uh, and the disconnect, you know, just opens that that gap even further between between the two of you, you know. And then, you know, I think depression is very isolating. So then you're you know feel even more isolated. Yeah, and I think the isolation happens in a few ways. You know, number one, you're isolated from that feeling that you used to have that mojo, those, that, that self-connection that you had, you know, things that used to feel good, don't feel good. So you're like isolated from yourself. You don't want to be near other people. So you're isolated from other people, but then also there, there's a sense like you're, you're kind of isolated from like the way the world makes sense to other people. It's like, you're not only distant from yeah. them, it's almost like there's another language that's being spoken. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I think for me, depression, and I wonder if this is—I wonder if this is the case that that depression is it, it is not um, works in different ways for different people. Because for me, I I feel like it was the thing that covered up anxiety, so there was another whole layer under it. Uh, that I could, you know, so, and I couldn't get to the anxiety to process it because the depression was sort of on top, you know, like holding it all down. Yeah. No, if, if you don't mind me just asking about that, because for anxiety and depression are so highly comorbid, you know, they're, then there's so, there's so much overlap. There's, there's negative affect, there's whether it's ruminative or worrying or obsessive thoughts. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a, you know, kind of somewhere between, sometimes it's agitation. So, sometimes what happens for people is that they're anxious most of the time. And then at some point they feel worn down and then the depression happens. What yeah. you're describing is, is something different though. So I just wanted to, to check in is to when you were saying like it was covering up the, the anxiety, what, what that meant to you. It just all—it almost felt just like a like a lid that was sitting on this pot. Like I could tell, I could tell there was so, something I, you know, things stuff that I couldn't get to, um, and uh, you know, and that wasn't always the. I mean, so, you know, sometimes I would just like flat out uh, uh, have anxiety, um, but the. But the depression piece, I could always tell there was there was other things under it, and um, 
yeah it just felt like a like a like it was holding holding it down or a barrier to, to between me and it um and and uh, i definitely had uh, a lot of ex a lot of problems with uh obsessive thinking and that's what uh, that's when I, what finally got me to try medication. I try, I uh, was on Lexapro, not very long, actually, like 18 months, but, and that sort of helped to jumpstart, um, you know, be, be able to kind of almost program a different way of thinking, but which I just could not get to. Uh, and, and I had had this experience where I was having a thought, you know, like some, I don't know, disaster, you know, this person hates me. I can't, you know, who knows what it was. And I, and even after I, there was like a point where I wasn't having it anymore, but it was still going around and around. And I was like, I don't even care about this. Like, I don't even care about this thought anymore, but I'm still, I, I'm still having it. Uh, it was a very strange experience where you almost feel like the thought is having you, like you're, like you're, you're not even involved in the in the generating of the thought anymore. So that was the point at which I thought, like, I I need to do something to interrupt this. Yeah, you know, when people talk about obsessive thoughts versus worrying or even rumination, you know, you think about obsession, worrying, and rumination, which there's a lot of overlap with depression and anxiety. The thing about worrying and rumination that sometimes is a little bit comforting is that it feels like, however painful it is, you're, you're kind of going over something in your head and you eventually come to some kind of answer. Yeah, it you feels know, like it's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah but, but, but the obsessiveness feels like, and, you, and, and it feels like you can tell the difference, not, not you, but someone can tell the difference. You're like, this has nothing to do with figuring out anything. Yeah. This just has like a life of its own in my brain. Yeah, it, it, it really felt like a thing that was cycling in the machinery that I, you know, I, I had maybe generated it at one point, but it was it was going around and around on its own. And, and that was just a little alarming because, you know, I think we like to feel like we're in charge of our thoughts. Uh, you know, we at least, at least like to feel like we're having our thoughts. And that that our you know that our thoughts aren't this sort of separate you know like a like a bird that's loose in a, in a house that's just flying around. Yeah, and it's it's this idea of our thoughts are having us is very interesting. I've never I've never heard anyone put it that way, but that that really strikes home. There's there's a there's almost like a loss of self that happens at that moment. You know, again, the worry, the rumination, it all feels like it's like, well, this is me, but it's me kind of feeling a little bit more intense than I than I want to, maybe super intense, you know, yeah. but the obsessions are almost like, yes, like it, it gets you into those like kind of odd philosophical discussions. Like, am I like, just like you're saying, like, it, it, am I having my thoughts or my thoughts having me? What's the base here? I, and that that's a very scary moment because you start to question the very basic of you know the basics of your identity yeah that's that's right because i because we all feel like we are our thoughts right and then and if they they become separate from us uh that's very alarming um but I, you know i i think depression and anxiety for me you know a a, a big part of it was um not having uh, not not really understanding what having a sense of self was, and you know, I I I mean, I think for years I I thought that what you are are your thoughts, your opinions, you know, your this things you do. That there isn't sort of a sense of self that that is uh, separate from that. So. You know that may, and that made it very anxiety-producing for me to to be close to somebody and have them disagree with an opinion because I would, you know, because I sort of felt like, well, that's, you know, if all I am is just like a bundle of opinions and thoughts and, you know, books I've read and movies I've seen and these songs I like, then, you know, what what does it mean if somebody disagrees with that? Then they disagree with literally a part of you. 
And um, and I I just I could not see it any other way. I you know, and I think that's sort of I don't know. I, I mean, that's you know what narcissism is sort of like a you know thinking that you're that who you are is this bundle of outside things, right? The you know your your habits and opinions and and thoughts and that there isn't any like real center to you. It's interesting that you say that about narcissism, because I think most people, when they talk about it, they focus on what they see as the grandiosity, the sensitivity, what, what can sometimes, whether intentionally or not be manipulation, but, but what you're describing that emptiness and often, oftentimes a, a, a just a, such an intense feeling of self-loathing Oh, underlies right. narcissism yeah. and yeah. it's it but it's it's like whether that the emptiness the self-loathing but there's that sense of i can't be within myself i've got to be these things out there somehow yeah, yeah because it because it does feel hollow or broken so and i think that's you know that grandiosity is is like a an antidote to depression or that sense of hollowness because you're you know you're trying to fill up this negative space with you know it's got to be something great you know i mean you have to be the you have to be the greatest you have to be the smartest or you know you have to be the most important or you have to do grand things and get awards and you know whatever like i like whatever your version of grandiosity or, or like the most, the biggest martyr, you know, the most giving, the most caring, the most sacrificial, um, you know, whatever your version of it is, uh, that I feel like is this, you know, compensation for having no sense of self. Yeah. And one of the things that's just so tough about it is that if it worked, it wouldn't be so bad, I guess. You know, because in, in a in a like what I guess I don't know if it was Freud called sublimation or, or whatever it may be, like you know, like saying like, oh, I feel empty. Let me do things that would make me feel filled up. It is it, kind of an adaptive response. And if and if doing something great that doesn't hurt anybody else is you know fills you up, like, good for you. And and that would be wonderful if that's what happened. But the problem is is that it feels as though it just never gets better. In fact, in some cases it, it gets worse because you, you, it's almost like the, the greater things are, the more opportunities there are for humiliation and shame. You know, one, one of the things that can happen, we're talking about this cycle of narcissism, is that when you get into that sense what and, and this is not just narcissism this is this is with depression this is with its anxiety um the pain can be so great that suicide becomes a, a thought that people have it becomes a possibility it becomes this idea of well what are the ways that i can escape this you know it's like yeah. you said before like well oh the you said exercise is going to help the depression but it's not you said if i did this kind of therapy it was going to help but maybe it's not I thought if I, if I make myself really like, you know, famous or whatever, that that's not helping. And sometimes that thought comes in and this idea for, you know, for one of your suicide is murder is a, that's a, that's a, you know, obviously like that's a powerful statement. And I want to kind of just talk with you about that perspective. Cause my, my understanding was it was a lot of having to do with how it would feel if someone who was close to you, uh, killed themselves. Well, let me tell you how I came to write this song. So I was asked to to write music for a stage production of uh, Girl Interrupted, the, but the book, I um, not 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 from the movie, but from the book. And um, and so the writer has a, has a whole passage where she talks about she talks about suicide because she had made an uh, a suicide attempt. And so, so the writer's sort of attitude is um, in the book is, is very much like 
uh, I'm going to be a reporter and just kind of dispassionately discuss um, what you know what being institutionalized was like and and report on the the people that I met and and so so that that sort of reporter attitude I think is is in in this passage and she's talking about um, how you have to you know because suicide is an inherently horrible idea you have to accustom yourself to to the idea of doing it get used to the idea of doing it and and try to detach from the the idea of seeing yourself dead or hurting yourself um and so she likens it to murder in 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 that respect that it's you know which i think is a way to remind you that it's horrible um and and so I was writing uh, writing the song, taking that taking that as a starting point. But you know, as I went along, because I I you know I've known people who have killed themselves. I have friends who have had loved ones kill themselves, and it's just so devastating. It is so the aftermath for people left behind is so awful and so devastating. And and I think there's no one, no one even as a casual friend left behind um, or acquaintance left behind who won't feel guilty and responsible on some level. Like it's really sort of a torturous thing that that's that spreads to everybody. And and so that's what is why sort of as you get to the bridge of the song, um, you know, the the narrator switches from this this voice of almost advice giving to just keep in mind how this is going to ruin everybody's life uh, and, and, and sort of takes it more seriously and, um, you know, brings some more feeling into it. So, so that's the, the kind of evolution of that song. Yeah. And that's, it's such a difficult topic because, you know, as a psychologist, when I work with people, I have to be able to understand and empathize with the feelings that would lead someone to want to harm themselves. And yet at the same time, try to say, but look at what would happen, you know, like, because oftentimes one of the, the thoughts that people have is like, well, the world would be better off without me. Yeah. You know, and well, you want to balance that, but, but sometimes it's, I'm just in so much pain and then talking about, well, this is what would happen if you do that. Unfortunately, even, you know, it, 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 it kind of makes, it kind of makes the pain even worse. And so yeah. it's such a tricky balance to know like what kind of, what's going to feel supportive at that moment, because, you know, like the idea that the people who you left behind would, would miss you and would be hard. Like in theory, that's a, that's a very supportive concept. You're like, Oh man, I didn't, I didn't realize I was as needed as that. But, but then if it misses in terms of how it gets, you know, kind of conveyed, it's like, oh, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm even, I mean, like that self-loathing, that shame. It's like, now I'm even worse than I thought I was. Cause now I'm not only harming me, I'm harming all these other people. Oh my God. Like, you know, right. it's, it's so, it's so hard to balance. Well, I think because that level of depression is so profoundly disconnected, um, you know, I remember being in a being at a you know in a period of real isolation and depression, and you know what this is. I put this in the song is the idea of um, make a list of people who would care if you know if you were gone, and I and like I couldn't come come up with anybody, and and I think that's because I felt so disconnected from them. I couldn't imagine that they felt connected to me, you know, and it wasn't like a self-pity thing. I just like actually couldn't, They, I was like, well, that might bother them a little bit, but like not, like you just don't, you're just disconnected. You can't imagine that anyone would care that much. Um, and uh, oh, there's another point I was gonna make. Um, oh, I had, the, so the other, so the other thing in, in my experience, um, 
And this is a very weird thing. So this last year, which was just delightful for everybody, right? Uh, I I developed this uh, neurological condition that made me really sick. And um, I was dizzy all the time and I felt nauseous all the time. And I was really, it was kind of like di- eventually diagnosed in the general sort of migraine car- category, like vestibular migraine, which just means we don't know. Um, but I was really sick all the time and, and, uh, and felt, it like, felt like I had a concussion. So I, uh, I was really sensitive to light. So I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, use my phone. I couldn't go in the computer. I couldn't watch TV. I was really sensitive to sound. I st- had stopped listening to music. So all of this last year during the pandemic, I could literally do nothing. And, um, and one of the medications that they try was uh, um, uh, antidepressant, like an early an, an early version of the anti antidepressant, and it made me psychotic. Uh, so I had this episode where I was suicidal, yes, but it was almost like an a, like a like a rageful homicidal feeling but against myself and that i can't explain it any more than that and i actually like at one point sort of screamed i'd you know i'd fucking kill myself but it's just another goddamn job i'd have to do so it like the idea was i you know like i couldn't do anything because i felt so sick and uh but you know but like you do feel like that's that's a that is just like that would solve the problem uh that that's an appropriate reaction to the problem and um you know fortunately after like a few days of this i i thought you know maybe i'm good i should read the literature that comes with this medication <laughs> like maybe it's a side effect and it, and so it was so like it i immediately went off of it and and that went went away but um you know but that that was it was it was just an interesting it was just like i was homicidally furious but like i was the person that i was directing it at i'm sorry that you went through that um you know that's that's it's it's so scary and so difficult you know because when you add depression and then a, and then what effectively is kind of a reaction to medication like a delirium or a psychotic reaction yeah. i mean talk about feeling out of control you know yeah, and you, uh, you know, listen. It's not like I didn't feel like that, but it, de- but it definitely magnified it, uh, you know, by a thousandfold. Um, but you know, because I was pretty despairing. I mean, I thought like, well, I obviously will never work again, um, and I don't even know. You know, I mean, I couldn't do anything, so I couldn't. You know, I couldn't like distract myself or you know, try to, try to have fun to, you know, there was no, you know, it was just like, you know, talk about rumination. I mean, it's, you know, all you're thinking about is how sick you are, which obviously makes it worse. Yeah. And, and, you know, something you said before about, I I don't know how you phrased it, but that nobody would care. Um, It's, it's interesting because, you know, for, for a couple of reasons, you know, one is, you have all of these fans, you know, and I mean, who obviously would, would care. And some of the music that you've written is, or that you've performed is to some extent what other people use during those times. So for example, like I didn't know that um, up until I researched this interview that you and Michael Penn were married, mm-hmm. but I've been listening to two of us your version of two of us from I am Sam for years. And, and quite frankly, that's one of my feel good songs. Like that's just a song that wherever I'm at, I'm just kind of like, Oh, and then when I found out you guys were married, it was sort of like, Oh my God, like you could feel the, you could feel that energy in the song. So it's, I, I guess I'm kind of curious because it's, it's, it's probably very odd for somebody who's been a fan or admired your work when you're the one who can make us feel a little bit better during those times, but somehow that doesn't 
help you? Like, I'm assuming you didn't put on two of us and all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, I feel better. Well, you know, I think if I could have listened to music, it would have helped. And if I could have um, made music, you know, if I could have, but I was having, um, part of my symptoms were that hear, hearing distortion, like literal sounds would be literally distorted. So I, I couldn't do it. I mean, it was to, it, it was too awful, you know, to, and it also was unpleasant. Like listening to music was very unpleasant. And I'm, you know, still haven't really gotten out of that. Um, it's, uh, yeah. I, you know, and it was scary. Um, so, but I, you know, I think music had, that was part of the despair. Like music has been a thing that is very healing. And, you know, even on a level of, it's fun and interesting to translate your present state or your problems or whatever into into music or into a story or you know a story about somebody else maybe but like to to like have that alchemy of uh, transferring feelings into you know into this uh, sonic landscape and you know like or you know with you know, some lyrical, you know, some kind of story or words or, you know, to, to have that sort of magic happen is, uh, it's very healing. Um, so to not have that was really tough. Like, I mean, I just didn't have anything. I mean, do you mind if just, I, if I ask just, do you have a regimen that works for you in terms of just your ongoing mental health care? Like, is it, you know, I, I hear it sounds like there's stuff that's happening right now that you're still struggling with. But is there anything that you found consistently works for you with either depression or anxiety or this this issue that you're facing now? Uh, well, a lot of different things through the years. I, I actually started going after after I um, started taking Lexapro. I started to go to Al-Anon, which, you know, is kind of like a cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy practice. And, uh, you know, also I, I find it very useful to, to have friends, um, to have people, not even necessarily friends, but like to have people that you can, uh, that you can call and talk to. And, um, and then it really, you know, first of all, like, to have other people say, oh, I understand. I've gone through this. Here's what I've, here's what's worked for me. Uh, nobody gives you advice, you know, which is great. Um, but they, you know, but people will say like, well, this worked for me when I tried it, you know, and then you try it. Uh, so, but that also helps to just interrupt, um, you know, the thought process that are leading to the feelings. Uh, so that's so that's been a thing I've done for years, and that's really helped. But you know what I found interesting—I uh, mean, really fascinating—about this this neurological situation I was in. Um, I I mean, I can't I can't believe that this is how it happened. But I I got an ad for an app, and the app is called Curable, and it's for people with chronic pain, which. I was, I, you know, wasn't really sure if I fit that criteria, but, but I started um, doing research and, you know, the, the app is just like, oh, you know, once again, like super directed cognitive behavioral therapy exercises. And, um, you know, I started doing research about uh, chronic pain and migraines and, and, um, you know, sort of discovered that there's this real link between stress and past trauma and uh, the nervous system becoming very reactive. And when it becomes very reactive, it produces pain signals, which can be, you know, dizziness and gastrointestinal symptoms and tinnitus and, uh, you know, inflammation, you know, I mean, like a lot of different things. And, uh, so I, so I started doing these exercises and it's like 99% better. And it's really connected with 
you know, there's like an emotional connection, but what was interesting to me is like, I didn't feel anxious, but I, I was, you know, when this all happened, like I wasn't feeling anxious, but I was starting to feel uh, really isolated because, you know, we're in a pandemic and we were isolated. Uh, but I think because I felt like that shouldn't have been a problem, I didn't, I really, I didn't process it. And so, you know, I think feeling isolated for me is, and I think most humans, like, you know, the, the, the jury is in on, on how social isolation can, can really impact people cognitively. Um, you know, I think your, your, uh, you know, chance of dementia goes up like 50% or something if you're super so social, socially isolated. Um, but, you know, I think, but I didn't really have, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't conscious. It was just this um, like ongoing background noise of, uh, you know, a fear. Because it makes you, you know, I just like as a human animal, I think it makes you feel afraid to not have your herd around you. Yeah, and it's it's one of the things that I think people have a lot of trouble processing is the idea that the feeling that you have, so for example, anxiety, is not necessarily related to the stressor that you have or the nature of the stressor. Yeah. And all these things that we're talking about, they cause stress. You know, so for example, one thing they'll often do in in studies of stress is we'll just say, well, transitions. You know, have you gotten a new job or did you move or did you, you know, are you, go, are you going to school? And, and these could all be wonderful things. You know, you could have gotten into the college of your choice or be moving in with someone who's a, a romantic relationship or got this great new job. But transitions are stressful. And, in, and therefore, when people are saying, well, why am I nervous? Why am I having headaches? I don't get it. And, you know, it, it's, that's something that's very tough for people to say, because like, what am I so nervous about as though the, the, the anxiety is connected with something like sort of meaningfully that's part of the stress. And, and that, that may not be the case. Just the stress keeps adding up. Yeah. And then at some point you, you just kind of pop. That's absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and I think for me, uh, you know, never underestimate like the, the silent power of the, uh, you know, I shouldn't feel this way. Um, I think especially in this country, we really have, a, you know, an idea about the rugged individualism is the, is like the, the holy grail and that we should all strive to be, you know, like going into the woods with like a rifle and a bag of rice and, you know, living on our own without other people. And, <laughs> which is what the into the wild guy did. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's delusional. Like people don't live like that where, you know, you, you don't function optimally like that. And, you know, I think for me, it was, it's exacerbated because my, my husband really likes to spend a lot of time alone and, and, uh, you know, so I would look at him and go like, well, he's fine. So, so obviously that's not it, you know, meanwhile, like, you know, like literally can't function. I'm dizzy all the time and can't sleep and, you know, can only sleep sitting up, which by the way, is not possible. And, you know, just oh, yeah. all these crazy symptoms. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's so tough about that, and this is, you know, something that I think people, you know, one, one of the quotes that I really like that you made I think it was about this album, which you said, it, it's hard to be a person. Yeah. Um, was was a term, which I, I think it captures like the whole thing, quite frankly. And one of the things that's really tough is that, and, and you know, as your musician, it's like the single mindedness that it takes to be a successful musician, the, the ability to, to push everything away, the ability to, you know, I'm sure at some point, you know, just, playing show after show after show, not sleeping, not eating healthy. Like, even if you were sick, like, you know, like th those are yeah. all the things that I'm sure you've gone through. And, and so there's this, this sense of like, well, we, I had to do that in order to be successful. But when it comes to emotional stuff, I think the thing that people don't realize is that 
it's not that it's not admirable, I guess, to try, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's nice if you want to push aside your anxiety to perform or to, to go about your life. I mean, it's, it's an admirable impulse. It just doesn't work is yeah. the problem. And that's when people say like a rugged individualism, it's like, if you're a rugged individual, like you want to know what works. And that's the thing that I, you know, kind of hoping people pick up on more is that being mindful and aware of what you're feeling is not contradicting being rugged. In fact, it's, in fact, it's part of it. If you want to have more long, if you want to have more long-term ruggedness, because yeah. as time goes on, you're, you're, it, it, it something's going to just give, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, I, and I'm not exactly a person who's not in touch with their feelings, you know, like I'm, I, I am not coming from, you know, I mean, I'm perfectly happy to examine my feelings, but, uh, you know, but I think in this case, I just underestimated the, the impact that, that isolation would have on me. I mean, I, and I think everybody, everybody did that because we're, n nobody really talks about isolation. I mean, this is a unique case, but, but social isolation is just not, it's not sort of commonly discussed as a, as a stressor. I, you know, like for old people, which, you know, I mean, I guess I qualify, but like, you know, I mean, you think about like, you know, grandma in the nursing home, you know, like you don't think, you don't think it's going to be you. But I think uh, I think it's happening to a lot of people. I think the pandemic was a, a real slow motion, invisible trauma, and people are traumatized. No, I, I think you're right. You know, it's it's you know, it's it's kind of like in some ways it's similar to money. It's like everything about your life gives a little bit of a different shine if if you have money or and. And, and it like, okay, I, I made some right decisions because I have money. And it's similar, like if you have people in your life, you start looking, you start thinking, oh, you know, well, well, I must have made the right decision here because I'm married or because I have friends or because, you know, I have coworker, whatever, whatever it is. And, and without that, or without that connection, you you're, you start to kind of ask yourself, it's, it's, it's sort of like what we were talking about with the, the obsessive thinking, like you start just questioning fundamentally, well, like, well, who am I if I'm not connected to people? Yeah. What, yeah. what do I? What, what am I feeling so great about myself for if like that hasn't led to, you know, certain connections being strong? And once you start going down that road, I mean, it's it's it spirals because by definition, it's like if you're socially isolated, well, who are you going to reach out to? Yeah. To not be isolated. Yeah. And then when you're, you know, now it's an emergency and like, oh, you're going to call that person you haven't talked to in a month and tell them that you're losing your mind and, you know, no, no, you can stay right where you are in your house alone. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and that's the power yeah. of the anonymous programs. I think, you know, you said it's kind of similar to cognitive behavioral therapy, but you know, and you, you actually said something that's really, really interesting as you sort of question is the best person to reach out to always a friend. And sometimes it's not sometimes having like a support group where the people are not your conventional friends is better for that very reason, you know, because yeah. it's like, you know, the last thing you want oftentimes is for everything that you're going through to be kind of out on the street, you know, if you will, like, you know, yeah. everybody to know that, like you kind of want to keep, but you kind of have to tell that story for people to understand you. And so it's, you know, you don't know that all your friends or, or any of your friends are going to be able to take that. I mean, that's kind of where we started the discussion. Yeah. You know, and having something like an anonymous program or support group where there's people who've been through it, um, it, it, it matters a lot just knowing it's like, oh, okay, like I'm not, I'm not sort of just out there in the middle of nowhere. There's other people who feel like this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, once again, just to stress like the, that unsolicited advice is, uh, is so, uh, you know, so unhelpful because you, you can tell that the other person is usually invested in it. And the thing I love about Al-Anon is people are like, here's the principles of Al-Anon that I have applied to my life in the following ways. You know, you can take it or leave it. 
and nobody's invested and it and it really that makes such a huge difference no absolutely and it's 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 so and it's again getting back to it's hard you know, it's hard to be a person. It's, it's hard. It's almost, again, where we, where we began this discussion, it's hard to know, like when you're, you're sitting there and you're like, I have something that I think would work. And like, you know, but that, that, that middle ground of just being like, Hey, listen, I don't know. Let me acknowledge, like, I can't hundred percent know yeah. what's going to work for you. Let me, let me just, let me just offer, you know, let me even ask like, Hey, you want me to offer something up? Just, just like, knowing that like, Hey, I see that you're there as an independent person, just because you have a mental health issue. Doesn't mean that like all your boundaries are now shattered. And I'm just going to like, come like charging in there with my advice can make the difference for someone. Yeah, completely. And it really does help to talk to people who have been in your, you know, exact position. Well, and, and, you know, if I, if I may segue, because I think, unfortunately, we have to stop. But, you know, somebody like yourself stepping up also, I mean, that that's, you know, quite frankly, that's the point of the podcast is so that maybe there are people who don't have access to support groups, or maybe there are people who don't have therapists or, or, or friends that they feel like they can count on. But at least they can hear that there's somebody who, you know, whose music they've known, they've admired. It's like, oh, okay, there, there is somebody out there. And, and I appreciate it, because you don't, you know, you're, you've already had a wonderfully successful career. You don't have to step up and do this. And so I, I appreciate, you know, you being willing to talk about this stuff in such detail because, uh, ab- you know, I know it's going to help people. Yeah, completely my pleasure. I, you know, I mean, I think this stuff is interesting and, and uh, you know, I think just having a, having an attitude of curiosity about it is, is, uh, has also helped me get, you know, get out of it. Like it, it helps to be an objective observer of, you know, your own brain. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I wish you the best of luck with the new album and your career. And I hope, I hope everything works out as best as possible with this, this neurological issue that you're facing. I'm much so. better. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So there it is. Amy Mann talking about her struggle with depression and anxiety and how difficult it is when there is someone close to us who's also struggling with their mental health. There's so much to take away from the conversation with Amy. One of the things that Amy discussed that was so powerful was how at her lowest moment she felt that nobody cared. And that is the horrible power of anxiety and depression. Because when we are overwhelmed with intense negative emotion, it is often so hard for us to take in or believe anything that isn't consistent with that negative feeling. As Amy described, we feel isolated, alone, often hopeless, and we can't imagine that anyone would feel connected to us. But for anyone out there who is feeling this way, even if you don't believe that anyone cares and don't feel that you are connected to anyone, Just try and reach out in some way to someone to get help. This can be a friend, coworker, family member, mental health professional, support group, or helpline. And if we have people who we are concerned about regarding their mental health, and there's a chance they may not feel like anyone is connected to them, a check-in or a call can sometimes make a huge difference, often much more than we realize. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. And if you're thinking about harming yourself and you want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.